All right, welcome to the Cartoon Caption Contest podcast. I'm Vin Polka. With me is Beth Lawler and Paul Nesha. And on part two of today's episode, we will be interviewing New Yorker cartoonist Paul Noth. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll be discussing contest 759 with Paul Noth. But uh, since Beth was a finalist, we're going to discuss it now as well. Um, so Beth, now that you were a finalist and did not win, uh, what was your reaction to it? We discussed this, uh, two weeks ago, kind of discussed my reaction. What was your take when you woke up Monday morning and did not see your name in the first place? Oh, uh, I, I was not really surprised that, um, that the kitchen release caption beat mine. Um, I really expected that to be the case. So I was prepared, prepared for it. I was hoping that um, that I would win, of course, but uh, but I was not surprised by that at all. I was surprised, to be honest, that um, I guess it could be worse. Larry got breaded and fried, beat my caption. Yeah. Um, I have no explanation for that. <laughs> um, I I really thought that I would have come in second to kitchen release, yeah. but. You know, um, it worked out the way it worked out. So, but is it is it clear to say that the excitement of being notified that you're a finalist is very <laughs> exciting, and the heartbreak of losing is very very low, or or did your heartbreak feel a little worse than mine? I think I felt worse than your than you did. <laughs> right. I uh, I. I did want to win once, once I was chosen as a finalist, I mean, I never expected that caption to make it to the finals. Um, but once it did, I, I did want to win, but I have a competitive nature. So um, if I'm going to be competing in something, I, I want to win. <laughs> All right. So, fair enough. <laughs> um, so it was a little disappointing for me. Um, it, I've definitely submitted better captions than, than that to this contest that didn't make it to the finals. So, um, you know, maybe I just shouldn't have won with that caption because it's not that great. Um, but once it was chosen, I did want to win. But being third out of however many thousands of people are entering this contest is also pretty good. So I'll take it. Yeah. Being a finalist is great. Uh, but being a finalist is the exciting part, right? I mean, getting that email is very exciting. Um, yes. That, that maybe is- I'm, we have a slight difference in when I was a winner, I wasn't all that thrilled. But when I got the email that I was a finalist, I was very excited. Yeah. Uh, for whatever that's worth. Again, I chalk it up to when you're a finalist, it's totally out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Actually, all times I was a finalist, I was unaware of the crowdsourcing. So it was mm-hmm. totally out of the blue. Yeah, I guess now if I'm a finalist, it won't be totally out of the blue because I'll see it in the top 20 or 30 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that out of the blue feeling is gone. But back yeah. when I was a finalist, I was unaware of the crowdsourcing. So I, I it was truly totally out of the blue when I was notified. Um, right. And that's exciting. But being a winner in this contest, I mean, there are certain things that, that can happen after that. Like you, your cartoon could be on the... Um, the desktop calendar, like how many times do you see, you know, cartoon captions? Do you guys have this calendar? The, I'm aware of it, but I don't have it. You can't really see it. It's, you know, the New Yorker 
daily desktop calendar. They print caption contest winning cartoons in that all the time, which I think is pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, like, I just, I just think winning, winning has its privileges <laughs> or perks, I should say perks. So, which is kind of fun. So I so love that. Yeah, I'm low man in the totem now because I've only won. I've only been a finalist once, and I've won once. Now I got to catch up to you guys. Yes. You're the only one at 100 uh, percent hit ratio. So oh, there you go. You made me happy now. That's true too. Yeah, you'll you'll get there, Paul. I feel it coming soon. Oh, definitely. Eventually, and very very <laughs> likely with the turtle uh, caption, you have a strong contender in that one with the helmet caption. Oh yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. Uh, that voting is not up yet, right? That's not just my computer. It, it just came up this uh, like a couple hours ago, so I went in. Oh, really? It's up now. Checked it out, so so it's there. You can go vote. I hadn't seen it yet the last time I looked. All right, so let's jump into contest seven sixty one: death handing lemons to the couple. Um, finalists were. He says making lemonade is not an option. I do love a good twist and there can't be any worse. Oh, sorry. They can't be any worse than the ones life gave us. Um, I'll open by saying I predicted uh, the day we discussed this cartoon that there would be no good captions and that the finalists would not be very good. And my opinion is I'm proven right. Uh, Beth, what is your take? Do you like any of these? And if so, which one or which two or which three? Uh, um, I just think that they're okay. Um, I voted for, I do love a good twist, the second caption. Um, I don't even really have a rationale behind it. I just felt like it, that was the only one that struck me as semi funny. Um, I don't get it. Because um, lemon twist is like what you put in a drink, a lemon twist. Yeah, lemon twist. And then it's a twist that, that death is giving them lemons instead of life. Like it's just one of those double entendre. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You might have liked it better with a twist ending, but maybe mm -hmm. not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So okay. I thought that one was okay. I, I, the other ones, you know, they just didn't strike me as outstanding. So, but you're right. This was a difficult uh, cartoon caption. Yeah, yeah you, you uh, got it right here, Dan. I I didn't like really any of them. Um, uh, I'll probably vote, and if I do, it'll be the third one. They can't be any worse than the ones life gave us. I think that's the best of the three, but it's the best of a week three. Yeah, I I. I, I'm going to have a hard time voting on this just because nothing really strikes me as funny on these. Uh, the first one, I just stared at that for five minutes and it's like, okay, I'm still not getting it. I've, I've read it, you know, a dozen times now and I'm still not getting it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, and it bugs me because it's somebody from local here from Madison. So it's like, ah, <laughs> a local person. Dang. <laughs> I got to, well, I think I could explain it. What's that? Um, I think I could explain it. Oh, yeah, try, give, give it to me. See what you come up with here. When life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. In this case, 
It's not an option of making lemonade. Why not? Because <laughs> it, it's death. If life was handing them lemons, he would make lemonade. But considering that death is handing him lemons, he now making lemonade is out of the out of the out of the picture. So death has a thing against lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, see, that's the thing. It's like I keep reading this. It's like, why doesn't death want lemonade? I mean, I. If I was death, I'd like a nice lemonade every so often. It's because death is going to kill them right after they take the lemon. But he gives them lemons before he kills them? Why? I don't know. It's, lemonade is life. just bothers me. Beverage of choice. <laughs> okay, let's, let's move on to uh, number three. They can't be any worse than the ones life gave us. Eh, I understand it, but it doesn't make me laugh. You know, it just, there's nothing there for me. And I do love a good twist. It, it's a plan words, kind of a pun, and I really hate voting for a pun, but I think I'm going to be forced into voting for number two. So it's just the best of a bad lot. Um, a quick grammar thing. Should life be capitalized in the third one? I, I didn't look. Does death cap, does the New Yorker capitalize death when they're referring to death as the Grim Reaper, considering it's a person? Yeah, you would, just yeah. because it's... It, I would it, think life should be capitalized in this case. Yeah, yeah it should I, be, right. I agree with that. Yeah, it's funny that they let that slide because normally they would tweak it if there's something a little bit off yeah. with the caption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I mean, they tweaked, right? The kitchen release had the uh, uh, dashes that they got rid of. Right. And mine mine didn't have a period next to on a throwback. I forgot period at the end and they put it in oh well that's uh, that <laughs> one's more I was, obvious i was worried about that like i thought that <laughs> might disqualify me <laughs> no period no soup for you exactly it'd be funny if they had an exclamation point oh <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be good were there any on this death cartoon that you saw that you if you were picking finalists you would have chose mm, that's a good question i had two I, I don't think they are great, but the two that I thought were okay, better than these three, in my opinion, were uh, we should have opted for contactless delivery. I would have chosen that one. And uh, the other one was it's goodbye fresh. A take on it's hello fresh. Uh-huh. It's goodbye fresh. Yeah. Um, for a very hard cartoon, those were my two favorites that I saw in crowdsourcing. Uh, the only yeah. two I thought would I like to uh, here give these to your mother. I don't know if um, that was in the crowdsourcing or just in the Facebook group, but I liked I liked that. Yeah. All right. Well, I, go ahead. There's a couple of them that I did a screen grab on. Uh, honey, I think these are for you. And mm-hmm. uh, would it kill you to try one? You know, that, those those ones I liked. Would it kill you to try one was was it one that I thought of after I submitted my caption also and I couldn't submit it. So somebody did submit the same yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that was floating in the top ones. It's like, mm-hmm. I thought for sure that uh, would it kill you to try one would be a finalist. Yeah. But it's like. You know, I think that's them. better than any of these, yeah. these three. I'm surprised. Hmm. Go figure. Yeah. All right, well, how about the current cartoon, Contest 763? The woman speaking to, it looks like a mechanic, about her 
Wienermobile or a hot dog shaped car. <laughs> um, I like this because it is original content, right? This, this will generate fresh jokes. It's not a sheep. It's not death. It's not a desert Island. It's a uh, pretty original. Interesting that they used color because I could have told you this was a hot dog without color. They usually only use color when they need it. In this case, the color doesn't seem needed. So a little interesting that it has color. Um, I kind of like it with color. I like when it's black and white with just a dash of color, but kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like it was needed. But um, Paul, what's your take on this cartoon? Well, it's I, when I saw the Wiener mobile, it's like, great, because uh, originally it was Oscar Mayer and they were based in Madison here. So it's like, I, I've seen the Wiener mobile all over the place around here. They have fleets of them that leave out from there. So it's like, it's, it's a common thing for to see a Wiener mobile around here. Wow. So it's like, oh boy, it's a local thing. I get to work on it. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, I am not coming up with anything good here. <laughs> I, I just, you know, had a hard time. Uh, here's, here's some of the first ones I had here. Uh, I got some news you're not going to relish. Uh, you're lucky you brought it in. B-R-A-T brought it in. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> uh and there's one where I had the words wiener and throttle in the same caption, and I'm not going to repeat it here. <laughs> it's a family show. So it, it, luckily, it's a uh, double issue week, so we have two weeks to think about this one. Mm-hmm. So, yay. <laughs> that could be good or bad. Yes. Uh, Beth, what was your take? you have any better um, success? I haven't submitted anything yet, but I came up with just a bunch of, mostly a bunch of puns. Um, the first one I came up with was, let me check your boil, because you can boil hot dogs. Instead Is a of boil, boil something to Check your oils, not very good. Oh, uh, yeah, let me check your oil, let me check your boil. Um, my next idea was, your engine is fried. <laughs> um, then I had uh, something stuck in your grill, like a grill like of a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, that works. works. Something stuck in your grill. And, uh, and my last idea, um, I think, Paul, you had a similar one, if I'm not mistaken, in the uh, Facebook group. Um, Just missed it. This was uh, my last idea was there's your problem. It's not kosher. Oh, yeah, I haven't even had that one. I remember that. It's like, yeah. I, I forgot I wrote that one. Yeah, I think you just had it's not it's not kosher. Yeah. I saw that, I think, after I wrote this and I was scrolling back through and I was like, uh oh. Um, but uh, I'm still thinking about it. Um, none of those are really yeah. very strong. Um, my favorite one that I saw so far in the group um, was you're getting low on grease. And getting what? low on grease. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, mm-hmm. Although you don't really get low on grease in a car, right? I mean, that probably doesn't really make too much sense now that I'm thinking about it. Um, then there was one that I thought was funny. Um, it was, it's disgusting, all these foreign parts, because hot dogs are made with. <laughs> that, that's, that's good. I, I missed that one. But that's a good one. I like that. That's a good one. So 
Um, anyway, those were the ones that I saw that I thought were good, but I'm still, I'm still thinking, trying to work this one out. I've never seen the Wienermobile in person. So Me. I know what it was, but I've never seen I'll it. Drag some pictures up here because I got pictures of me with, with, with the Wienermobile. So maybe I'll get those sometime. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me of um, a few years ago, there was a, a contest and I, I think it might've been a Maslin contest also. It was um, a subway car that was a hero. Uh, um, a sub, oh, yeah. a sub mm-hmm. subway, a sub sandwich, um, and it was also, if I'm remembering it right, it was also colorized, but I could be misremembering that, and it kind of reminded remember. me of this. So I didn't do well on that one, um, that one either, but uh, we'll see what happens. I had two around the same theme. Uh, one saying, trust me, you don't want to look under the hood. And the other being, I'm sorry, I can't figure out how this was made. Two kind of jokes on, I don't know how hot dogs are made. Great. Uh, one was your fluids need to be replaced with dirty water, which might just be a New York thing. They're all dirty water hot dogs. Yeah. And then one that I'd probably have to submit um, against my better judgment, because it's one of those puns that work two ways. I feel like it's the type that wins. It's very mm-hmm. similar to it's a throwback, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Um, and the caption is, it's cured. Like he solved the problem and it's a cured meat. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's it's simple. A, yeah. mm-hmm. It's a New Yorker caption contest type finalist. And yeah. um, because I know that, it, I might just have to submit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the type of captions they tend to select. It's not my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, similar is just as I thought, synthetic. Uh, mm-hmm. Might be even better in my opinion, but it's cured. Is a New Yorker finalist type of caption. Yes. And, uh, I, I checked Facebook. No one seemed to have it. So it's relatively original. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Two weeks ago, I had said, if you can come up with a original pun that works both ways, you mm-hmm. likely have a finalist. Yeah. I might have to take my own advice and, uh, and go with it. <laughs> I like it. That's likely what I'll submit. Mm-hmm. And it's short and to the point. And... It's short. Yeah. It's two words. It's mm-hmm. a pun that works both ways. It's, yep. um, it's, it's the identical caption to I'm a throwback. It's the same yeah. kind of caption and it's the kind right. that they select. Right. So that's probably what I'll do. But yeah. um, I think I felt like there was a lot of ways to go with this. Um, the dirty water fluids is the way to go. Something with being unable to figure out how it's made um, or looking under the hood is a way to go. Uh, something with it flipping, flipped on the BQE, something with it flipping is a way to go. Mm-hmm. Um there were a lot of ways to go on this. So I, yeah, I like this cartoon. It's, it's uh, original and I feel like there's a lot of different ways to play with it. Yeah. Yeah. And given the two weeks we have here, I think I'm going to explore a lot of those uh, different ways. To mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Yeah. yeah, me too. I'm not rushing into this one. Something will pop up. Mm-hmm. And, and um, for the listeners' sake, considering it is a double issue next week, there won't be uh, a new cartoon to discuss, but we will be interviewing New Yorker cartoonist Frank Cochran, um, who had a the uh, Garbage Pail cartoon a few weeks ago. So uh, that will be our episode next week.
And before we break here, uh, we did want to mention the recent passing of New Yorker cartoonist Danny Shanahan. He was one of the greats, had hundreds of cartoons in the New Yorker. Um, just his cartoons, his style, uh, just in terms of his cartoons, he was one of my favorites. Um, he had a ton of cartoons for the caption contest and for the little brother, the cartoon stock caption contest. And uh, Paul, I think he had one of your favorites, right? That you were a winner on in the cartoon stock caption contest. Yeah, this was just over a year ago. And uh, it's, it's one of the ones where I felt like I really nailed the caption. You know, it's just, it worked perfect for the image. It's, it's the one of uh, the princess at a bar and she's got a kind of a, a mean look on her face or very unhappy look on her face. And my caption was, uh, my life's a goddamn fairy tale. So it just that that one, it's a special cartoon because it's just, it's one that I felt like I really nailed it. So mm -hmm. thanks, Danny. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he had a ton of the New Yorker contest as well. Um, only one where I can remember my captions. I remember I felt like I would likely be a finalist was uh, two men were in a dog pound and they were in dog cages. And I submitted a, I preferred when my wife kept me on a leash. <laughs> Felt like I uh, had a good chance. Um, that one didn't work. I think the winner was last time I'll book a discount vasectomy, which is actually very good. So if you're going to lose, that's what you want to lose to. But um, he had a ton of great cartoons. Um, Beth, can you recall any favorites? Yeah, of his? Um, Definitely the one the big standout to me is the Father's Day cartoon, um, Thanks for Almost Everything, Dad. That's probably um, his most, one of his most well-known. Yeah, love it. Um, one, another favorite one of mine is um, an old couple walking, you know, the, an old man walking in through a doorway and the wife is standing at the door, I guess, waiting for him to come home. And the caption was, you slept with her, didn't you? So like the, the Yiddish word schlep, um, which I just thought was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and uh, one of my favorite um, contests uh, of his was the, uh, the dog sitting on the couch reading a book um, with, a, with a, his owners, the husband and wife. And he's reading a book and it's, uh, the winning caption was, C-spot run, C-spot run, who wrote this crap? And I just think that that's, that's really funny. Because um, I remember as a kid reading those spot books and uh, I just thought that one was really funny. So um, he, was, he was just a brilliant cartoonist. So. Yeah, he, I definitely loved his cartoons. They were very simple, you know, in the drawing style. Uh, he, he almost didn't draw straight lines intentionally so you can tell it was all hand drawn. <laughs> Uh, very good cartoon also little known fact I didn't know until today he had the second ever cartoon in the second ever uh, New Yorker caption contest when it was an annual issue he was yeah. the second cartoon in there so he has a long history with the New Yorker many great cartoons passed away this week and uh, as fans of the caption contest and cartoons more generally, uh, felt it was worth discussing that uh, today, considering it recently happened. Yes. 
All right. Uh, with that said, we have Paul Noth waiting in the wings. Uh, we plan to have a good interview with him. So uh, stay tuned for that. And up next will be us speaking with Paul Noth. How's it going? Is this uh, is this Vin? Yes, I'm Vin, and then we have Paul and Beth as well. Hi. Hey, Paul. Hey, Beth. Good to Hi. see you. If you don't mind, if you want to just open with a quick background of a uh, a brief sure. background, we'll probably into cartooning, and we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. Um, well, I've always been a cartoonist since I was a kid. I think, like a lot of us, we just you know it's something I've always done. Um, I never thought I would make my living at it. Um, so I didn't really go to school for it and I didn't go to art school. I went to school for, uh, creative writing. Uh, I went to Emerson college in Boston. Um, and so I sort of was, I sort of set out to be like a literary fiction writer. Um, and I did that like for a lot of my twenties while I worked other random jobs. And then, um, uh, around the age, right when I started to get into my late twenties, I thought, well, what, how can I get paid for this? Cause this isn't, you know, I'm not going to get paid, you know, writing writing like literary short stories. Um, and so I started to try different things. Uh, comedy writing was the thing that sort of stuck. And I met through comedy writing people. I met Matt Diffie uh, at the a thing Matt used to do in New York called the rejection show where uh, uh, New Yorker cartoonists and other comedy writers from around town would come and show their um, rejected material. Um, and I showed him some of my cartoons and he really encouraged me to submit to the New Yorker, which I've always, I always loved New Yorker cartoons, but I never, I just thought it was unattainable, you know? And I think it, it might've been, um, but, uh, Bob Mankoff, the editor was really making an effort to bring in like, like new people. Um, and so they gave me a chance. And so that's, that's how I started doing that. And around the same time, some of my other comedy, you know, started happening elsewhere. Like I started writing, uh, I started writing and creating these little animated shorts for uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Um, and that led to other sort of stuff in comedy, usually writing in animation, writing and producing in, in animation. So that's, that's sort of the background. But throughout, I mean, I've been doing The New Yorker for about 16 years now. So it's been, that's sort of like, it's sort of the thing that keeps me, now that I'm, I, I stopped working for a cup for a while so I could move and I'm like, I'm eager to get back to work. And the first thing I think of doing is New Yorker cartoons, just because it's sort of what, what keeps me grounded, you know, the ritual of, of the weekly batch and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You weren't submitting to New Yorker before you met Matt Diffie? No, I wasn't. I, I, I sort of wrote it off, you know, because I was, um, I loved it. I loved cartoons, but I knew that it was very, very hard to get in. In those days, it was, it was even harder. Um, it's always been hard, but, uh, it was particularly hard in the, like when I grew up in like the, like the eighties and, and, and like the early nineties, when I was aware of the magazine and I looked at it, um, you know, you could really see that there was like one or two new cartoons. It was just like a handful every decade that get a couple new cartoonists, you know? Mm-hmm. And I knew from just reputation and what I'd read about cartooning, that it was very selective and like that, that it was really just out of. It, it just don't bother, you know, was the message I got. Um, and it, uh, Matt just encouraged me a lot. He looked at my stuff and he told me what he thought, you know, they'd like about it. And then, you know, I, 
uh, I put, I spent like a month putting together a bag. He told me how the whole thing worked. And then uh, Bob uh, liked my stuff and invited me in. And so that's, you know, that sort of got the ball rolling for me. And then it's, it's very, I, you guys have talked to other New Yorker cartoonists, but once you start and you sell, it's very addictive, kind of like the caption contest, I imagine, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's like, I want this again, I want this to happen again, you know, and so that, yep. you know, and they were, you know, my, you know, my art really developed over time. I kind of knew the New Yorker was sort of my art school, you know, because I would try different things and see if stuff worked and see what people reacted to. And it just, it forcing me to do those 10, because it used to be, it's not really anymore, but they used to like ask us to do 10 roughs a week, um, which was a, which was a lot of drawing for me. And that really, that really taught me how to be an artist and a, a cartoonist. Mm -hmm. And what made you go to this rejection show where you met Matt? You went there kind of. Uh, I knew some people there who, were, who had, uh, who had a comedy show, uh, like a live comedy show. And um, they invited me to go to the rejection show to see them. Um, and so, you know, and I was interested in writing for their show. Um, and uh, that's where I met Matt and someone told him I, I drew because I was I was working on, you know, I was always drawing and I always, you know, was doing like weird cartoons and weird art projects and stuff like that. And I had done some, I showed him just a couple I had, like that were kind of in the New Yorker style. And he, he was like, he's just like, you should go for it, you know? And that was, I don't think I ever would have even found myself doing it if I hadn't sort of met him. And how many, uh, you know, roughly how many submissions it took before you finally sold one? I sold from the first one. So that was a big ah. encouragement. You know, I sold, I sold the cartoon from the first one. And, uh, so I was thrilled and, um, you know, and so that got me, you know, I was just, I was just raring to go after that. Do you know anyone else who's done that? I, I haven't heard of anyone selling on the first shot, especially to buy. I'm sure some people have, I'm sure there's somebody else out there who has, you know, um, I think so. I, I yeah, I, I'm guess I don't know offhand by name, but like, I can't be the only one who that's happened to. I was very lucky because it was, um, sort of a political cartoon it was a very sort of political time and it was just what they were kind of looking for um and uh you know i think that helped me the just the mood the tone the like topical stuff kind of um sometimes i can do topical stuff that's in the that they like you know and i'm very lucky for that because i know a lot of very funny cartoonists but it's just not for them it's just not for the new yorker you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I feel like my topical stuff kind of is it can fit with their style. So that I think that's helped me over the years. What was the first one? The first one was a um, it was during the Iraq war and it was a um, it was a, a White House press secretary holding a flashlight underneath his face like a like a kid telling a ghost story uh, around a campfire and um, and the, the, the person in the press was asking a question that was like, um, how do you, how do you respond to critics who say you're just trying to scare people? That was it. So I got that in. And I sold for my second batch too, which was another political cartoon, but they never ran it. And I, <laughs> that I got used to that really quick that it wasn't so easy to sell and that it wasn't, you know, Sometimes I would sell and they'd never run them or they'd show up two years later or something. So I learned not to tell friends and relatives. Um, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I just pulled up your uh, your first cartoon you sold. And it's interesting because it looks 
nothing like yeah. <laughs> your drawings. Obviously, your style has changed dramatically. Yeah, I was going for. I'm not sure what I was going for, but I think I wanted to have a distinct look, and I like these little these little patchy line drawings. Um, and I thought that would make me stand out. Um, and then I learned over time that, you know, it wasn't helping me sell. Uh, and it was very labor intensive. And I also did, the more I learned about the art of cartooning, the, I realized that this is it's a very cumbersome kind of style. I read um, the former editor of The New Yorker named Lee Lorenz wrote a book um, I think called, called The Art of Cartooning or something, or The Art of the New Yorker. Um, and he had a line in that book that stuck with me that said it was um, that a cartoon is beautiful in the same way that a sailboat is beautiful because all the parts are necessary. And that really sort of, I, I, I knew I had to switch it up over time. I just learned through my style. And so my first like couple of years, you'll see all those little lines and then you'll see a very spare style. And then I eventually I start, you know, I start developing the style I have now. That's what I mean when I say the New Yorker was like my art school, you know, like I really, and I, it's really, I'm really lucky that I got to sort of learn by doing this, you know, and learn over time what makes, you know, like I look at that now and of course I cringe a little bit, you know, because it's like, some things about it are right on the money and other things are just completely unnecessary, you know? And like, so I really learned how to do how you know how to be more economical with my with my artwork yeah you're the first cartoonist we've had on whose style has changed that dramatically i mean it doesn't yeah. look anything like your current i mean your current stuff is so clean and yeah and uh that's not clean right all those lines uh yeah i do it's kind of distracting you know the old style yeah and as you say you clearly, clearly uh, improved your style or at least made it more friendly I to think over uh, time underwater. i realized but the thing is, is that I thought I, I think I held on to it for too long because it was working. I couldn't believe I was selling and they were buying and it was working. Um, and I think it just took me a while, you know, and Bob, the editor, would tell me, like, you, you need to work on the art style. You need to work on your art. But he wouldn't really get specific because he didn't want to he didn't want to. It, it, he was very much about individual expression, but he's like, work on it. And I talked to the other cartoonists. They'd be like, Bob says I have to work on my art. And they'd be like, ah, he says that to everybody. So I was trying to miss it, but over time it just sort of, it sunk in. It was just like, eventually I learned and I got more confident in a way in that old style. I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm like an actor who doesn't know what to do. So he's doing way too much, you know? Um, and like, I didn't really have the confidence to just go with a simple style. You know, I, I had to build that up because I was really, I was really intimidated, you know, by, by being in the New Yorker. And um, and not with all the I mean, the art in the New York is just incredible, you know, and people that I've always looked up to and admired and seeing my art's going to be next to their art. And so I was just like, you know, I think I was just doing way too much, basically, at first. It took me a while to learn how to, you know, and to learn that to execute, you know, the simpler you'd have to learn the simplest, like the same with with a caption. You have to let's see how short we can get it. Let's see how much we can edit it down. Let's see the simplest, most direct way to get to it. And that's what, that's basically what I had to learn with art and how to do and composition and how to, you know, how to create a composition that tells the joke and that times the joke. And does it take much less time, the new style, or does it just look that way? Um, it depends. I mean, often 
It, it depends on how I can do a very complicated series of drawings to get to something simple. You know, it's sometimes it's, it's harder to be simple um, because like, you know, I can think of, I'll be halfway through a drawing, think of a better way to lay it out, you know? And so I've learned over time to be a lot looser in my style, a lot more precious. I mean, a lot less precious, a lot less, you know, because let's try it a few different ways. Sometimes a joke um, won't work until you find the right composition. And so I can work, I can still work, you know, I can still work a long time on a single cartoon or it can just be, you know, very quickly done at the last minute, right before the deadline as very many of my cartoons are done that way. Just like, you know, just the last possible second I'll think of something and try and draw it on time. And are you still doing that 10 a week? Yeah, I'm still doing 10 a week, even though the new editor, Emma, uh, says that we don't, you know, she's like, just do however many you want a week, you know? Um, and um, I found that I have to just do the 10 a week just because I'd already been doing it for so long that I just, it's just how I work, you know? And so I like, I liked it better. It felt more satisfying for me to do 10. So that's usually what I do. Mm -hmm. Not always, but usually. Do you have a favorite cartoon of yours? A favorite cartoon. I've been asked this question before and I don't know if this is the right answer, but there's a cartoon that I feel like has been maligned and like been misunderstood and disapproved of. Um, and I guess you would call it up if I give you the caption. The caption is... Um, well, I could probably guess because I've uh, listened to some of your interviews in the past and read okay. a little bit. Is it the monkey cartoon? Yeah, it's the monkey cartoon. <laughs> it's the monkey I will cartoon. pull that up. I wanted to discuss this cartoon, which is partially why okay. I asked the question. <laughs> um, to try and describe it to a listening audience, it's... Um, okay, two well, there's a... There is You're better a than me. Or a chimp of some sort standing on a stool, um, and uh, there's one guy on the left who, who's uh, shaving uh, the image, the face of a clock, onto the back of the monkey. And then there's a guy on the right who looks like, like he's objecting to this or he's confused by it, right? And the guy with holding the razor says, "Well, by that logic, no one would ever shave a clock onto a monkey." And the reason that I like this cartoon or that I'm defensive about this cartoon is I got, I got a lot of emails and a lot of letters from people complaining about it and saying that they don't get it. And like they, they, some of the letters, like they mentioned like where they went to college, like they'd be like, I went to Stanford and my wife went to Penn and this cartoon doesn't make any sense, you know? And like, you know, and so I got a little defensive about it because I like it. I like the cartoon. But it's uh, it's one of those. That I, I mean, I've have I've had other cartoons that have gotten a lot of complaints, but this one, it kind of the complaints kind of amused me. It amused me that this ridiculous cartoon like actually upset some people because it's so it's so silly. I can't believe that people actually email you and tell you that your cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, yeah, and some of them are nice people that I know. You know, like like parents, like the friends of parents. Being like, I normally really like your stuff, but could you explain this one to me? You know, and I'm like, that's, and I hate explaining them. You know, like, of course we all hate explaining them. Yeah. Well, this okay. one in particular, I imagine is very hard to explain because it's, it's very hard uh, to explain. A lot of their criticism is probably correct, right? I, I think I get the joke, but by the, 
In other words, that clock could really be anything, right? I mean, you can replace yeah. the clock with a bell and it's the same with joke. Anything. I think they yeah. get hung up on, on the clock. Exactly. Like they're, they get hung up on that and doesn't make sense. And really it could be anything that, anything right. that's, that's illogical would work. <laughs> but I particularly find it funny that he's shaving a clock onto a monkey. Because um, that's, to me, that's particularly illogical and absurd. I agree. Were you surprised when this one sold? I was thrilled when this one sold. <laughs> Every now and then, like, because I think that sometimes being in the New Yorker, the context of being in the New Yorker will make a joke a lot funnier to me. And so in something like this, that's very much my sense of humor, the New Yorker doesn't go for everything that I find funny. Um, and I didn't expect them to go for this. But when they did, I was, it, I just started laughing because it, the joke became funnier to me. The idea that it would be in the New Yorker made it that much funnier to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that cartoon. It's just, it fits my sense of humor perfectly. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. It's just, it's a thing unto itself. You just you get it or you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no, I can't help you. I can't, you know. And if it's, and if you don't get it, what, you know, no big deal. What are you out? You're out like five seconds of your life, you know? <laughs> it shouldn't be, don't hang on to it. Don't, you know, ask questions. Just, you know, move on. I have a few favorites of yours that that I absolutely love. My my probably my top one is the um, the soldier talking to his mother, and she says, "Well, if your allies say that about you, then you're they're not your allies." Love that one. Oh, but thank you. Yeah, I like that one too. The way the way the soldier is standing is just so like it just <laughs> nails it. It just brings it home. And then my other favorite one of yours is the. Um, the kids on the playground, and there's a kid on this on the uh, seesaw. Yeah, and he's in the down position, and he says, "Okay, when a teacher comes out, everybody look up." <laughs> like like a kid went flying off the uh, yeah, <laughs> off the seesaw, and I just think that's absolutely hilarious. Uh, um, thanks so much. I like well, that one a lot too. Love it. One of my favorites of yours is the uh, the map of the United States and the. Uh, caption it's all in Russian except for Waukesha County which you know, <laughs> being in Wisconsin it's like oh what's he got against Waukesha County and then it's like oh it's Waukesha County that figures yeah <laughs> yeah that one that is Waukesha. I mean my my Wisconsin friends appreciated that one on a different level than I think other people did yeah. and it's also because I think that like you know there was a, a joke among like political writers that like Oh, it looks like the election's going one way, but we haven't had like the votes in from, you know, Waukesha County yet. You know, like, oh, if you're way, if you're up late on election night, they would say that. And a, 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 a writer for the Washington Post, Dave Weigel, it became his sort of catchphrase for a while. Like, oh, we haven't heard from crucial Waukesha County yet. But I thought it'd be funny if like Putin was, was uh, looking at it and discussing it. So I, I'm uh, guessing Vin and Beth are going, Waukesha. What's up with Waukesha? <laughs> I don't know that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And you have the two great Wes Waldo cartoons. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, did you do those both at the same time? Or did you, no, I did or did you the, hit a home um, run on the first one and try and go back to the well and see if you can come up with another? I did that first Waldo one. The first one was um, Nobody Asks How's Waldo. 
Um, and that's probably one of your most. It's probably yeah. one of your most more popular cartoons, right? Yeah, I see that, that one every. That, that one's very viral on the internet, and it's it's sort of what to, to the listeners who haven't seen it. It's Waldo, and he's in a bar, and he's like looking very depressed, and uh, he's just you know he's feeling sorry for himself. Nobody asks how's Waldo. Um, that one, uh, that one took me a long time to sell. It got rejected a lot, and I just, I just stuck with it. Um, and I just feel like it wasn't. Sometimes, at least, maybe back then, I think now it's different. For, but back then, it was sort of hard to do things about pop culture. You know, it was hard to do a, a, a something where I'm, unless somebody had already done it, unless somebody had already done a cartoon about like a pop cultural figure. It, I felt like it was hard to get, you know. Cause they'll be like, well, people know this, you know, but I feel like after that first Waldo one sold, I don't know. I think it was maybe a couple of years later that the other, I just thought of the other one and that one sold right away. The other one for, to describe to the listener is if I can remember right. Um, it's sort of classic infidelity setup. Um, a man is walking in on a woman in bed and she's sort of covering herself and there's, the clothes on the floor are the, they're in color, unlike the rest of the cartoon. And they're the distinct Waldo clothes, the striped shirt and the, the blue pants and the blue hat. I'm saying the striped and the red striped hat. And the man is saying, okay, where is he? That, <laughs> that's the joke. That's did did you change anything when you were resubmitting the How's Waldo cartoon? You know, I did once. I did, but I went back to the original. I was like, well, maybe I didn't do it right. Uh, and so I did this other one, and it was not nearly as good. It was way more complicated. Um, and it was just various. It was like four images of Waldo being depressed and doing depressed things. And the caption was just, how's Waldo? And just showed him being sad in like four different locations. <laughs> I think I was like, let me try this. Because sometimes if I like an idea and it gets rejected, I'm like, well, maybe I just got to try it a different way. And then I, I think I submitted that one that got rejected. And then like weeks later, I went back to that old one, you know, and I, I resubmitted it. Bob and Emma both will, you know, if you ever talk to Bob or Emma, they will confirm that I, I resubmit things a lot. You know, I'll do my 10 new ones and then they'll see ones that they've rejected several times. And I'm like, you know, it's, it, I, it, sometimes I just do it to annoy them, I think. Um, so I heard a story. I heard a story about um, the great New Yorker cartoonist Saul Steinberg from like the '40s through the '60s or '70s. Um, brilliant cartoonist, and he would. Um, I heard a story about him that when he got a rejected cartoon that he knew was good, he would take it out of because back then it was all done through the post. You would get the envelope and see the rejected cartoon, and he would pick up a new envelope, put it right back in and resubmit it. Like in the next day's mail, they would see it again. I just love that. You know, it's just like, cause you have to, if you don't, you got to believe in the ones you believe in. I know a lot of the ones I believe in probably are terrible, but, or bad at least, or not worthy of the New Yorker, but they will never stop seeing them as long as I do batches. And they don't seem to mind. They don't seem to hold it against me. So they'll be like, ah, oh, that again, you know, they just have to take a second and throw it, throw it at the bottom of the pile. But um, now and then, now and then like an old one will sell, you know, like one that's resubmitted a bunch of times. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how wrong they could sometimes be, right? Cause that Waldo probably became one of your most popular, I would imagine, right. That and probably sure. the wolf. Yeah. The wolf, the Trump one. 
yeah, that, um, yeah, those two probably, at least in terms of like viral, uh, you know, viral, like, you know, social media, you know, those mm -hmm. are probably the two most popular. Yeah. And then when did the uh, writing for the late nights begin? That was after the cartooning, right? Yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, I think it was kind of around the same time. I think I pitched the I uh, I pitched an idea to Conan around the time that I stole my first cartoon because I had a connection there, um, but it didn't actually happen until um, about a year later. So I had already been in the New Yorker for for a year before um, I got hired, and then it took a while to produce the cartoons that I made, um, and that's that led to other things. Like um, a lot of the stuff for TV never showed up on TV that I did, but like, you know, I would develop shows for Adult Swim or Nickelodeon or something mm -hmm. and it'd make, make it so far. And then, you know, um, you know, development hell for most of them. Um, and, um, and I did some, uh, me and another New Yorker cartoonist, Zach Cannon, uh, did some stuff for Saturday Night Live, along with Rod Klein, who's another SNL writer who was really funny. Um, and SNL gave us the chance to make three, um, three animated shorts or a couple animated shorts, but only one of the ones we made actually made it onto to SNL. So Conan, the thing with Conan is that it was, I was working with Jim Gaffigan, who's my brother-in-law. Um, and he, I pitched this idea to him called Pale Force, where he and Conan play these pale superheroes that he could do as part of his panel uh, during the interview segment. Um, and he liked it. I wrote it out like a sketch and he liked it. He said, why don't you come in with me and pitch it to Mike Sweeney, the head writer. And so we did and Mike liked it, but it took a while. And I think it's really because Jim always just crushed on that show. You know, his stand-up was just always, you know, he always just did really well and they, they liked him. And so they gave this thing a chance um, and they paid, uh, you know, they, they paid like as much as they would for a panel segment, which is not really an animation budget. So it was very low budget. Um, and then when it went well and the audience really liked it, it became a regular thing. And they just started, we did a bunch of them. Um, and the, the real joke of it was that Jim was bringing these on and they could look kind of crappy as though like Jim had made them himself in his basement. And, you know, the whole bit was that Jim would aggrandize himself and make himself look like a muscular Adonis and then just humiliate Conan in every way possible. Uh, and that was tremendously fun and a ton of work because, you know, just I was doing so much of it myself. Um, and but it really was, a, you know, it was very unique as an opportunity because I could, Jim and I would usually write them. Um, sometimes eventually we, uh, um, my brother Patrick and my sister Jeannie would join us as writers. Um, but it was all of us and Patrick was doing all the audio and all the voices. I had a couple of animators I could hire after a while. It was a crazy amount of work. We'd spend about two weeks making this little short and then would take it in and they would, because they, uh, they would just put it on network television. And that's not how any, that's not how anything else has ever worked, you know? And so like, I'm always, I'm always 
And that was such a, you know, such a great groundbreaking, funny show. And I, I think it was because that was Conan's attitude. That was Mike Sweeney's attitude that like, you know, if it's funny, like, let's just put it on TV, you know? And I feel like it gave me the sort of false expectations that TV would just work like that when really everything else, it's very, very, you know, long, long process, you know, to get something on TV. So that's kind of the writing you were doing for late night. It was mostly sketches, not like monologue jokes. No, no, not like, uh, not like gag writing. No, it was like these, it was very like, it's very, the sort of, of the sort of niche I wanted to have was as this, as the person who made like funny animated things, you know, uh, that I sort of could, you know, to sort of go along with my cartooning. Um, and uh, yeah, everything, I think just everything except one or two things I did was based on an animated cartoon. You know, I might write a bit for Jim and Conan to do together, but except for one live action thing on Conan, I think everything else was animated. Do you have an interest in monologue jokes? It seems New Yorker cartoons and monologue jokes have a close parallel. Yeah, I do. You know, I do. Um, I like writing jokes and I've, I've had jobs writing jokes. I've had jobs working for like award shows and stuff like that, writing jokes. Um, I've written jokes for other cartoonists. I've like, uh, and um, I, it's something I'm good at. I think I'm, I'm like, uh, I mean, in terms of like the art and writing side of it, I can, I can come up with a lot of jokes. Um, so yeah, it just never, I never really did. I was not that interested in like working in TV where I would like write a packet and then be in a writer's room. That never really appealed to me as much as like making my own little short thing that I made myself and then, you know, sending it off and seeing if, you know, it could get on TV. That's more like what I was interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I, uh, but I wouldn't mind writing monologue jokes. I just never, I never really had the, I never really, I never really had a TV agent. Um, and so I never really came up the chance to like work for, uh, you know, work for like a late night show writing monologue jokes. That's a, that's a hard job. You know, it's like, it's like a couple of people in a room just writing jokes all day. You know, um, I, I like, I like the process I have now where I can write a joke, write a bunch. Maybe I'll spend a whole, you know, couple hours of the morning just writing and I don't like anything and I don't want to draw anything. Um, so, or sometimes I'll think of an idea and I'm like, that's worth drawing, even though it's not a cartoon yet, you know? And then I could just sort of take it to completion. You know, that's something I, I it's good for me because I don't, I lose interest in things. I, what I really like about the New Yorker or the short cartoon form is sort of by the time I'm sick of it, it's done, you know, and I can move on to another thing and I'm not stuck with something like, oh, I have to write another, I have to write a second act or something like that, you know? Uh, you know, like I love, it's, I mean, I, I am interested in doing longer form things, but uh, this is really, it's really satisfying to be like, okay, that's it. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but it's, you know, it's done at least. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your process is pretty much drinking coffee, sitting down and, writing down a bunch of ideas and then eventually settling on which ones you're going to draw. Yeah, exactly. That's been, that's kind of what I've, the way I've been doing it from, for a long time. And I've been, I've tried more recently to keep a sketchbook and to keep, start just jotting down visual ideas and start like really working from the image more, but it's not the way I'm inclined to work. The way I'm inclined to work is just to write a ton of ideas 
pick the best ones or ones I like the best, draw them. And then they often change after I start drawing them, though, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, that seems like the only logical way to do it. But we do <laughs> talk with cartoonists who just say they just kind of start drawing and see yeah. what comes of it. it seems, that's, that's, yeah. that's a process I can't understand, but it seems to work <laughs> well, for us. What I like about that process, though, is that it can be, is that I like the idea of being, of having that spontaneity while I'm drawing, of having an idea strike me while I'm drawing. Whereas it's very similar, but to, you know, because usually when I'm writing, I'm thinking visually, I'm thinking visually, right? I'm thinking of a scenario, uh, you know, that is a picture. Um, and so in a way it would be interesting to, you know, I, I try to sketch things out now before I have a joke because I want to, I want to see if they, if the joke can come out of the picture. Maybe it's the way the guy's standing. Maybe it's somebody's posture. Maybe it's the way that, you know, the way that the monkey looks, the way that the elephant looks. And then, you know, based on the expression on the elephant's face, you think of the punchline, you know, like that, that seems fun to me, but it just is not. I've been, you know, unless I have a, it, it, I worry that I would spend all day doing that before I thought of anything good. Whereas I feel like it's more efficient for me to just sort of write down a list. Right. And we had a Tom Toro on last week and he brought you up just to mention that he was jealous of your signature. <laughs> what, uh, did that just come natural to you? It seems like most cartoonists want to do some type of either fancy signature or, you know, in Tom's case, he, he did something, you know, in script, which he sounds like he kind of regrets because you can't really read <laughs> that it's Toro. You can't really tell who it is. Whereas yours, it's kind of just Paul North, very clean, very clear. Yeah. Is I don't know, really know how I came up with that, why I thought that would be the way to go. Um, Cause a lot of people were just doing their last names I'm not sure why I started doing it that way. I think I just, it was, it was a way, it was easy and it was repeatable, you know, like it could be, it could, I knew I could do that. Whereas if I, if I came up with something that was like fancy, I might, I might not be able, you know, to do it again in the same way. Like I'm like, <laughs> okay, so I'll just write my name legibly because I have terrible handwriting. So like my signature will just be me writing my name legibly you know, and like a little sort of, and also I guess it's the four, you know, it's the four letters on top and the four letters on the bottom, you know, kind of like this, uh, you know, that's not bad graphically, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think people started doing it though, when they saw that I could do it. I'm not sure if other people were doing their whole names before that, but I thought that like, why not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, why not have my whole name there? Um, it's funny, I think in those early ones, when I was doing all those lines, I was kind of, you could barely see my name. I was kind of hiding it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe just because I was, it was that sort of that insecurity of like, you know, I'm not sure. I can psychoanalyze myself, I guess, but <laughs> I was not ready to put my name sort of boldly on those drawings. Whereas later I would just, you know, that was just the way I did it. You have a few um, captionless cartoons also. Um, one in particular that I like is the, uh, the student monetizing everybody's science projects. That's a great, yeah. but okay. do, do you, did you have that idea 
as a cartoon without a caption to begin with, or did you whittle away a caption until it became what it was published as without it? I don't, I'm not sure I remember. I think it's, um, I think it was like, uh, I think it probably just came to me because it was the name of his project, you mm -hmm. know, because yeah. it was the name of his project. I could get it. I, I love, uh, captionless cartoons like that is if I if I when I saw a captionless cartoon I'm so thrilled um because there's something like I just love them you know there's some, especially if they're just even the, the wordless ones in particular I think at a certain after I've been doing it for a couple of years I made that my mission to sell a wordless cartoon um and I started trying to do one a week at least but it took oh. a long time before I sold one but I I think that was a great lesson though too because it's like how little, how, you know, how, how economical can I be? Like, can I, how little can I do to get a joke across, you know? And it taught me how to, how to sort of uh, time a joke visually, you know, where timing, timing in words is sort of, we call it timing uh, in like when you're telling a joke, but like in a cartoon, timing is all spatial, you know, how, things relate to each other on the page. And that was a great way to practice. It made my cartoons with captions better too, I'm sure, because it's like, you know, when you can direct the eye, you know, uh, to, in a way that people can get a setup and a punchline just from an image, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a lesson that like anyone who wants to do this should probably try out, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've said you've always wanted to be a cartoonist. Uh, was there any cartoonist growing up that you really were inspired by that you wanted to emulate or just, you know, you saw it and you said, that's what I want to do right there. That's what I want to do. In a way, I, I, I wanted to be, a, it's not so much that I wanted to be a cartoonist. It's that I was, you know, like I would just do them. I, it's like as far back as I can remember, I was absolutely obsessed with Charles Schultz and Peanuts. Um, I think that was the first one like that. I think I came when my memory comes online, I'm already obsessed with peanuts. Um, and I would just read every single cartoon I could find. Um, and I didn't really want to be a, like when I would fantasize about what I would do as an adult, it was never to be a cartoonist because I think it's because I already, I thought I was already doing them. And I knew that I was, it wasn't a good fantasy because I like knew I wasn't as good as everybody else. You know, I was just sort of like a kid doodling pictures and so I would, be, you know, I wouldn't like think, oh, someday I'm going to get better at this and that'll be my job. Also, my dad worked for the newspaper and he would always tell me, like, don't get into this business. <laughs> he's like, you know, this even this, though this is like the 80s and pre-internet, he's like this, you know, this is like no future in, in you know, being a newspaper. He just warned me against it. Um, so I didn't plan on ever being a newspaper cartoonist. I wanted to be I'm sure when I was younger, I wanted to just be like, a, you know an astronaut or something. And I probably wanted to be a movie star and then I wanted to be make movies. And then I, I got into books and I wanted to be an author. Um, and like, and I always just did cartoons though. I always just did them. And I was always like, when I was a kid, my dad worked at for the Milwaukee journal and he would anything that had cartoons in it, that was like relatively clean. He would bring home to me to read. And, but that wasn't enough. I, cause like th those books, I like, came across the features desk. But in addition to that, I would just go to the library and like read cartoons constantly and read. I didn't have the attention really for like book books, but I would read an endless 
like anthology of cartoons from like Punch from like the 1920s. I'm just the off chance I would get one or find one funny or, you know, I was just like, it was always like something I was obsessed with. Um, but I never really pursued it. I didn't go to art school and I, you know, but I always just sort of kept up drawing, even if I wasn't doing cartoons, I was just drawing and maybe trying to, you know, draw faces or draw caricatures or, you know, um, but I think it was just all that, all that practice that when I finally got into it, I knew a lot about cartoons. You know, I knew, I, I remembered, you know, I knew a lot about New Yorker cartoons. I had like, um, you know, I had like authors, you know, I, I had, uh, my uncle had all the Charles Adams books and I love, absolutely loved those. He was the first, I think I learned about the New Yorker by like just reading all those Charles Adams books. And that got me interested in the New Yorker. And then I would read every, anytime I saw a New Yorker, I would read it. We didn't subscribe, but I would go to the library and like just flip through the cartoons and like look at, you know, the different styles and the different, you know, um, the different types of humor, you know? So it was, um, it was absolutely an upset. It was such an obsession that I don't, I didn't even think about it really. You know, I would, I did remember I had more Gerber, the New Yorker cartoonist had a book called the art of cartooning that I had when I was a kid. My dad brought it home from the, uh, from the journal for me. And, um, he described, I read that book and I remember him describing the process of the New Yorker and how the New Yorker was sort of like the Holy Grail. Um, and maybe somewhere in my head, I was imagining myself doing this someday, but it was like, he may have sounded like impossible, you know, like he, in, in, in those days, like if you were, if, if you weren't established and they liked your jokes, you might end up writing jokes for, you know, Charles Adams or Peter Arno or one of the, the established artists, you know, and um, and then if you if you kept that up for a number of years, then maybe, you know, like I, I've talked to some of the older cartoonists who would say at a certain point, they said, like, you sold another one to, you know, to so and so. And they would say, OK, you can have that one. But then you've got to take one of mine. you got to put one of mine in the magazine. You know, it was it was uh, it was like the top back then. There were a lot of other outlets for cartoons, but it was it was like it was it was hard. It was very hard to get in. But in a way, it was easier to stay in because they only had their people, you know. Um, so it was uh, that was why I think I was reluctant to submit there because I just figured, you know, you know, why, you know, of course, I'm not going to be in The New Yorker. Yeah, I, I guess back then it was like there's a ton of magazines you could go into and New Yorker was the Mount Everest. Yeah. Now it's, you just have the Mount Everest. How do you get to Mount Everest if you don't have anywhere else to practice? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why, that's one of the reasons now that they're giving, and I'm, it's very good that they're doing it, that they're giving so many, uh, so many younger or newer artists uh, a chance, you know? Um, and they're, it's very important to them to have new people in, like practically every, every issue or every couple issues, it seems like there's somebody new. You know, which I think is great, or at least online. You know, regularly, uh, there's there's new new people. Because if they don't do that, like, how will people be encouraged? How will people? You know, it's a lot of work, and why dedicate yourself to doing this art form and to learning? You know, this difficult art form. If um, you know, if there's no venue, you know. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the old days, you know, they would, 
you know, they would go to the New Yorker first and what didn't sell there, they would go to Collier's and then they'd go to, you know, Saturday Evening Post and they'd go to Life and they're, and then the, the old timers there used to tell me that then there was a guy, so all, all, a lot of them lived in Connecticut. So on the train back to Connecticut, it'd be a guy from like, like you know, like a thousand laughs magazine would come be on the train. You'd buy their last remaining cartoons for like, you know, a buck a piece or something like that. So you're sold out. You'd work all week. and you're, It's like a, a peddler with his cart, you know, going into the city and selling his wares, you know. It's amazing, really, to think about that. You know, like that's that that's the way it used to be. Is is there anywhere else now that you send them? Do you send to anything other than the New Yorker? Yeah, sometimes I send them to Airmail Weekly, uh, which it, uh, is um, where because uh, Bob's the editor there, Bob mm-hmm. Mankoff, and so I, I um, you know, anything Bob emails me about, I try and send some stuff to him um, because Bob was very encouraging to me over the years, and he was very. He kind of got me early on, even though my stuff looked kind of weird and it was kind of unusual. And he he, he could see through that. He's like, oh, this guy's a cartoonist, you know. And, I, and uh, so anything that he's doing, I kind of uh, I, I, I know that it's going to be interesting. I know it's going to be funny. And so I, I try and send stuff there. Uh, and now and then I'll hear from other people who don't usually when people reach out to me, but I don't send to anyone else regularly unless somebody sort of reaches out to me. Hmm. Well, here we discuss the caption contest. So if you want to Great. jump into that. Cool. Um, I suspect you know by now that our very own Beth Lawler was a finalist in. Yes. Congratulations, Beth. Thank you. That's fantastic. Yours was excellent. Excellent <laughs> caption. Thank you. It was, it was a big surprise because I submitted that caption 10 minutes before the deadline because I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. Well, it's great. It was, I'm sure better than mine. (laughs) So then the obvious question, uh, what was yours? Okay. Well, it wasn't very good. (laughs) Let me just say that. So that's, I didn't mind a bit that they chose us for the caption contest. His mind wasn't particularly good. Mine, the, the, the cartoon is these two fish talking and one of them is mounted on a board, uh, like you would like a trophy. And the one who's mounted on a board, like a trophy And my original one was, um, yeah, but tell me again about how hard your week was. That was my original, my original caption. It was just something I did for my batch, you know? And so I didn't really, you know, you have to do 10 and I, I knew it wasn't very good, but I submitted it anyway. And I was glad they picked it for the caption contest. Cause it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure people could come up with something better for that one, <laughs> for that scenario. And people did. Well, you are satisfied with all three of these? I know, obviously, you love Beth. Yeah, they're great. They're they're funny. I mean, Beth's is obviously the best. <laughs> You've but, had you a. Know, it's uh, yeah. Those those are all pretty good. You've had, I think, dozens of cartoons in the caption contest. Do yeah, any that's stand out? Years. Do any stand out where you were uh, really impressed by the finalists? Um, <laughs> you know, they're often, I feel like oftentimes my, they're the same, this, at least this time, because the joke wasn't very good. Originally, they're not the same, but they're more often than not the ones that come to mind. Um, like, the joke was exactly or almost exactly the same one that I submitted. 
you know, um, that's happened several times. Um, and so that's, uh, I mean, that's kind of like, ah, okay, <laughs> that could have just been my cartoon then. Um, yeah. I guess the one, the one that's good, really good is, uh, and I don't even remember what my original caption was, but there was one, an early one where there's um, some scientists uh, and they're, they're, they have some laboratory mice and, the, and they've dressed, or well, somehow the laboratory mice have ended up dressed as scientists, right? They're wearing little lab coats and they have little ties on. Um, and somebody, I forget the person, but the winning caption was, one of the scientists is looking down at the mice and says, okay, now slowly lower in the grant money. And I thought that was great. That's probably yeah. better. I, I don't even remember what my original one was, but that, that one was excellent. Yes, I do remember that one. I remember that one too. I don't remember what I submitted, but I remember that cartoon well. <laughs> <laughs> But one of them, like there was one that was like um, a man was accepting a delivery uh, and um, someone had a huge barrel on a hand truck and, was, and it had monkeys written across the front of it, right? And, he's, and it's like a UPS guy and he's delivering this barrel and uh, the guy's looking into it and he's a little bit alarmed by what he sees. Um, and it was something like, yeah, that one. Um, the one that won was, they'd probably be more fun if the barrel had air holes and that one, and that was, the, that was pretty much, uh, that was pretty much my caption too. And uh, that, and I, I actually played this contest and I submitted almost the identical caption as well, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> I suspect several other people did as well, but yeah, probably mine several was very, very similar to that. Yeah, that one is kind of like, you can almost get ahead of the joke with that one. You know? mm -hmm. Yep. And then I think the most recent you've had was the uh, two chefs inside of a whale. Oh, yeah, that one. That was pretty recent. Oh, I, I actually, I think I knew someone who knew the winner of that one. I forget who it was. But somebody said, hey, I know the person who won this one. Um, I actually forget the finalists myself. Uh, I don't remember the finalists either. Um, I don't remember the winning caption either. Um, I don't even remember my caption now. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it was. I can pull that up. Was this supposed know. to be a, a Jonah in the Whale cartoon? Uh, uh, I was slow I, on the intake on this one. I, this it, was during the whale. podcast. It's yeah. in a whale, definitely. Uh, and it's uh, it was two chefs, and I... Um, I, I, God, I wish I could remember my caption for this one, but I can't. Um, I can't remember the winning caption either. Um, no, I, I think that was one that I just started drawing. Like this one, I just started drawing and I was like, I'll think of something for this. This is pretty good, you know? And that whale one, I saw an old one of mine and I liked the whale interior as a setting. And I just thought the two cooks in there, we could come up with something for two cooks to be saying you know i did one i i that <laughs> i i really wanted to have a cartoon inside of a whale um and so i think i did a, a bunch of those at one point and then i remember the whale sat up recently and i was like oh let me try a new one with that you know um oh, everyone but me seemed to figure this out I, I didn't know this was a whale but beth and paul schooled <laughs> me this was during the podcast uh 
do other cartoons, in other words, what makes this the inside of a whale to you? Well, I, and I guess everyone's almost figured it out. I think that the, 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 the idea of something happening inside of a whale probably goes back to Pinocchio for me because that was a very, when I saw that when I was a kid, it was like, it kind of terrified me and blew my mind. And like, so anything I've sort of a fear or a phobia from, I find myself, I find that coming out somewhere. Um, and uh, so I would now and then just find myself coming up with ideas because when you come up, when I come up with like a bunch of ideas, I get into this sort of weird sort of semi-dreamlike state where um, I just sort of free associate and come up with something, you know? And so like lots of, so they're kind of like, um, it's kind of like, I'm not sure why I do cartoons inside of whales, but I just like something about it when I'm working. I like that. Okay, so this is not, I think this is the winner. This is not the return, the first one, not the return to inside dining that I was expecting. Um, I think that one won. This topical is pretty good. Um, and then uh, I guess it's just us for dinner. Not, not bad. Um, I don't like to cook on an empty stomach. That's pretty good too. Um, yeah, I think that the, but I think I like the first one, which I think is the one that won the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and I cannot remember what my original caption was for this. Did you sell any for the caption contest where it upset you uh, for the reason being you thought your I original no. caption was so if good? If I really like the cartoon and they buy it for the caption contest, a couple, maybe twice, I've just said, I've said, no, I, I'm not, I don't want to part with that one. I want to keep that one the way it is just because I don't want to, if it, if I just want, I really love, um, I, um, would rather just, I'd rather just have it be my cartoon. Maybe I'll put it on Instagram or something eventually, or more likely I'll resubmit it <laughs> in like six months and see, you know, wow. So, like, so they, look at it again. they asked to purchase two of your cartoons and you said, if it's for the caption contest, uh, no thanks. Yeah. I think, I think at least two. Um, and then another one for uh, another another online caption contest that I submitted to, or I submitted, I was submitting to another publication and the editor was like, we want this for our caption contest. And I was like, no, I like it too much. And they don't seem to mind. They don't mind that. Um, because it's, you know, they understand, I think really, because if it's like, now I feel like his certain ones, it's, like no this is the joke i like that too much like if the waldo one like they had said we want this for the caption kind of so i would have been like no i like this too much you know or certain other ones the ones i resubmit regularly that will never maybe sell but it's like those are you know I'm, or maybe if i was broke enough <laughs> if i really did the money <laughs> i might do it but like uh you know i uh if um I think we have the right to say no. I don't. I don't think they mind. I don't know if the other cartoons know this, but I think I don't think they mind if you say no. You know. Yeah, we haven't heard that before, but uh, I love the integrity. Um, <laughs> if that's what I know, it there is, is might just be there is one cartoonist. I forget who who does not like the caption contest and probably has said. I don't know if Beth or Paul remember, but it's Sam Gross. The oh yeah, it's Sam. Sam. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was out public, <laughs> but like yeah. <laughs> Sam was just like, yeah, why? Public. What? Are, what are they? Sam from the very beginning was like, no way. 
you know, like this is our, they're like, they don't, you know, I think at the time he was just like, they don't like, you know, have the readers change the end of the Updike story or the, you know, whoever it is, you know, he's like, this is, this is our art form, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which I respect, but like, you know, it's another, I don't mind, you know, I think it's kind of fun, especially if it's something that I, you know, am not, you know, like, usually I'm like, great, you know, like, let's, you know, because I feel like there's something, at least the cartoon gets out there, you know, that way with most of them. But now and then I'm like, no, I really like this one. You know, I want to just, I want to keep it the way it is. Uh, those at least two that you could think of, do you remember if you ever actually sold them? No, I didn't sell As- either of them. I didn't sell either of them. Here's something interesting though. And I don't think I've talked about this before. Um, once I used to love at when the caption contest first started, I submitted for it, even though I was a New Yorker cartoonist already. And Bob pulled me aside. He says, did you submit to the caption contest? And I said, yeah. And he's like, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're a cartoonist here. And so, but I would love to think of captions for other people's cartoons. Um, and very early on, um, Arnie Levin is a great cartoonist, did a cartoon uh, for the caption contest that was like two sort of giant Godzilla lizards that were like eating people in Manhattan and talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, when I thought of a caption. I was like, oh, that's such a great caption. I should submit it. And I'm like, but they don't let me submit it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a New Yorker cartoonist. I'll just draw my own giant lizards eating New York <laughs> as my own cartoon. And so that's one of my, uh, that's like a popular cartoon of mine. Um, because the caption was, um, one, one of the Godzillas was saying to the other one, um, of course you feel great. These things are loaded with antidepressants. And so that became like, you know, my, you know, a, a, a solid cartoon of mine. It was really based on Arnie's idea. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Do, do you still try and come up with captions for, uh, do you, do you pay Sometimes. attention? To I feel like I was just more enthusiastic generally <laughs> back then. But like, uh, I don't know, I was, I was, I feel like early on, I was more likely to sort of imitate other cartoonists. And like, I had this sort of mindset, I think a lot of people starting out had that's just like, oh, Godzilla's, that's what, that's the sort of thing the New Yorker likes is two Godzilla's eating the city. Like, I'll do that. Or like, you know, um, what's another example? People at a cocktail party or, you know, all the cliches I think early on, I thought, they, oh, they want these cliches, you know, they want these setups that we've seen a million times before. But as I've done it more and more, I think only when you have to do the cliches, you know, because they actually don't want them, but it's just that they work so well, you know, like I'll try to avoid cliches or tropes or whatever we want to call them as much as possible. Um, but they work so well that sometimes if you, they're just perfect for the idea, you know, um, that I will just fall back on them. So I don't really, I think I do it a little bit differently now. And now I'm like, I'm kind of bored with the normal setups. And I try to think of scenarios that are, that I haven't seen before. Um, Like for example, those Waldo cartoons, like those got, like that Waldo cartoon got rejected over and over again. And I couldn't figure out why. Um, I was like, maybe it's because they don't want a wall. They don't want Waldo in the New Yorker. 
Um, maybe it just doesn't fit with what they are. I always overthink everything. You know, we've got it rejected. You don't, you have no idea why usually. And I think that after I did those, people started submitting Waldo cartoons because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they like Waldo. So let's do Waldo cartoons. And I think it took me like a long time to realize that they don't, that if you can do something that I should try, make an effort to do something to do setups and scenarios that, you know, that they haven't seen before. Because at least that's more interesting to me now. And, but then I'll fall back and I'll end up doing cartoons that are a bunch of mobsters or a king or, a, you know, um, anything that's sort of like an archetype, you know, because it just the jokes, because people know them. And so they can, they have to do, they don't have to do as much work in a way. Like you can get, you can get an idea across. You can get, it's, you know, if you have a, a joke that's really about like authority, to, to uh, you know, it's great. You can have a businessman, but maybe a king is even better because a king, you get, everyone knows it like that. Everyone understands that immediately, you know, or a mobster, anything about crime or corruption while well, you draw like a, like a, like a stereotypical, like, like mafioso guy, people just get that immediately. So why not? Why not? You know, if you can, Oftentimes that's the difference between a joke working and not is how quickly people will understand that setup. Cause these things have to work in like, you know, three seconds, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. You say that cause I just searched, seems like of all your cartoons and you've had well over a hundred, probably over 300. Uh, yeah. Over 300. Have, you don't have any grim reaper or desert Island cartoons. No, I don't. <laughs> is that because they I haven't don't. sold or do you not draw those? Yeah, is... I, just, I haven't, I don't think I've drawn as many of those maybe as other people have. I have like uh, a couple of cartoonists are doing a desert Island book. And they asked me to submit some. I went and I looked back and I could only find like three, you know, and only one of them was worth, you know, you know, I think I sent them all three and they picked the one that I knew was probably pretty funny. Um, but only one of them was really any good. Um, and so I think I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I've probably done a number of Grim Reaper cartoons, but I don't, I don't try, I think early on, I probably tried to do those back when I thought that that's what would help me. Um, but come to think of it, I have never had a desert Island cartoons, but I have had those same castaways in a boat, um, I've done that a number of times. I think maybe the, I like that better. It doesn't have, I feel like if you have it, like most desert Island cartoons with some exceptions, but most of them, they're kind of meta at this point. Like you're doing cartoons about cartooning in a way. Um, whereas like originally, like the desert Island was like that, you know, there were stories about people getting caught on desert islands. And that was a more common thing that happened because there was a lot more sea travel and stuff like that. And that was like a legitimately like scary scenario. And so you're kind of puncturing this thing that people had a fear over, you know? Um, And I feel over time, this is nothing I set out to do, but over time, when I look back at my cartoons and I'm like, what are these really about? Most of them are about fear. Most of them are about things I'm afraid of. Um, And I'm not afraid of any on a desert island with like a long beard, like, you know, and another guy, you know, like fighting over a coconut. You know, like it just doesn't have any real immediacy for me. And I've done, and it's funny though, I've done, I haven't done any Grim Reaper cartoons really that I've made it in the magazine. I've done tons of cartoons about death, you know, but it's, they're usually ways that death and the fear of death are more like visceral for me 
than like the, the Grim Reaper figure who I just sort of associate with cartoons, you know? Yeah, it's probably more, you have a ton in the hospital. So it seems like yeah. if you're going to go dark, you put them in a hospital. <laughs> well, I have, I have a fear. I have a real fear of doctors and hospitals, you know? And so like, it's, um, that just comes out or it doesn't really come out because like, so every week I'm doing 10 and like, it's funny. Like, it'll be like, oh, of course I sold the doctor one. I sold the hospital one when I end up selling. And I, over time, I'm like, why is this connecting with people? And this other, and my cartoons of a, someone in a whale are not connecting with people, you know? Um, and I think it's, I think it's because I'm, because of this fear that I have, you know, like I really, I really have always had a fear of doctors and hospitals and things that I have a fear of, um, you know, things I have a fear of end up just finding their way into my cartoons without me really trying to put them there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty therapeutic in a way. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so I still, I still, you know, if I have a checkup, I'm trying to get my mind on something else, you know, like always, you know, and it's, um, and I, it's the absurdity of it. And it's like the, um, have you guys had Ben Schwartz on? Yes. Was that? Ben yeah. Schwartz, who's actually a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a lot of good, great doctor cartoons too. But he and I have talked about this, that it's like, you know, like, why do I do so many doctor cartoons? And I think it's like fear and sort of resentment. Like I, I resent that doctors have the power to tell me like bad news, you know? And so I'm sort of like just undercutting that fear and that, you know, anxiety. Um, but if I look at a lot of my cartoons are things that like in other contexts, other than cartoons would give me anxiety. So yeah, maybe it is therapy. Maybe I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to work through some stuff, you know? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Just reminded me of a cartoon. I think you had uh, something along the lines of how many times do I have to tell you it's cancer or something like that. It was something really dark. Uh, I can't remember the exact word. A few dark ones. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't know if I've ever actually had the word cancer in a cartoon. Well, I've tried to do that, it was but um, it's like uh, Julia Suits had a can <laughs> like. <laughs> Julia Suits, because I was like, is that a no-go word? Am I not allowed to use that word? Julia Suits had one where the doctor was saying, um, anywho, it's cancer. Yeah, I was I like, that's, so <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I had one that was like, um, this is one of those that I submit resubmitted over and over again. And Emma bought it. Bob always was just like, oh, this is the old doctor bit. But like Emma liked it and she bought it. And it was... Um, the doctor's saying to the patient, um, now that's the kind of positive attitude that I'm really going to miss. That's the <laughs> caption. Ouch. And like, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's funny, that one, I, I don't even know if this is, like, I heard from two different people who were seriously ill about that cartoon, and they just loved it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and they were like, you know, like, say, it, and I was not, that's not why I do, you know, expecting that, you know, I'm doing, I'm working through like my own stuff, you know, with these cartoons, but like, you know, they were, you know, they were like, this gave me such a laugh right now. And I'm really, you know, and I was like, I was moved to hear that because I don't expect that at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was way off, but the one I was thinking of is, uh, what part of you've had a stroke? Don't you understand? Oh yeah. <laughs> that, was the, similar, that was, I was way off. 
that's a re that's a reject they've never i've recent i've submitted that i don't know how many times but i probably i might have shown that on a on a like a um i'm like uh I've, sh I've put that out there somewhere else but that's that's that one's never been the yeah I, I saw it on an interview with scott ragowski who yeah yeah I, sh I think i showed some of my rejected cartoons on that interview uh yeah no they've never, they've never bought that one it's funny i had one the week I had um, years ago, I had appendicitis. I had my appendix out. And that week in the magazine, I had one that was um, that I had done earlier. Uh, I had an appendectomy that week. And that uh, uh, the car my cartoon in the New Yorker that week was the doctor saying to a patient, um, I'm a doctor. I can add ectomy to any word I choose. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was explaining this to the doctor while I was in there to my surgeon. He was like, okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had you uh, over an hour. Is there anything else okay. you're involved in that? Uh, I know you wrote a book. Child yeah, I have, book, I have a middle, middle grade series called How to Sell Your Family to the Aliens is the first one. Um, that was a lot of fun writing that book. Um, and I have nothing else to plug <laughs> because I've been moving for two months. I haven't done anything remotely creative in a, in a couple months um and i don't have anything really coming out um so but it's uh i don't know i promote joe dater has a book coming out i'll promote his book uh joe dater a very funny cartoonist he has a book coming out i think in the fall and i'm uh, very excited to read his book um but yeah that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> that's great oh well this was uh this was great for me thank you uh Really, very oh, much thank you so on. much. I really enjoyed talking about it. Yeah, we appreciate having you on, and uh, I'm sure you'll have dozens more cartoons in the caption contest. You seem to have uh, one every few months. Uh, when you do, we'd love to have you back on just to talk about that. Okay, cartoon. terrific. And, uh, yeah, it was great talking great. to all of you. Nice meeting you too. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Bye.